in the end, I didn't get the job. Um, someone else got it. And when I found out that I didn't get it, I felt a few things. I mean, I felt disappointed and kind of humiliated because all of these people who I worked with would know that I hadn't been hired. Um, but I also felt a little bit relieved. And that relief was kind of an important piece of information. And it, um, it made me think, well, maybe I didn't really want this job after all. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark big or small is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and joy. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more about Judy at her website, judybanker.com. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses and other offerings, hop on over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind the scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. I know that everyone is feeling really stressed and anxious right now. We're all unsettled and feel out of control. So I created a free download for you for maintaining mental health based on my 30 years as a psychotherapist. Um, just go to zestfulaging.com and it is all yours. Well, as usual, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. So let's begin. Not many of us like to talk about our failings. Rejections don't go on your resume, but they are part of every successful person's career. All of us will apply for jobs that we don't get and have ambitions that are not fulfilled because that is part of being a working person, part of pushing oneself to the next step professionally. Today, we're going to start, we're going to speak with Jessica Bacall, who just wrote a brand new book called The Rejection that changed my life. She interviews 25 powerhouse women about their careers and looks specifically at their disappointments and failures and gets their advice about how to handle the realities of work life. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. Oh, it's so lovely. And I love that I found you on the alumni newsletter. Yeah, me it's too. A, it's such a great <laughs> way. You know, sometimes the web is just a magical place. And mm -hmm. it was it was really delightful to read about your work and then be able to contact you directly and set this up. Well, thanks. So let me start with what inspired you to write books about rejection at work. Okay. Well, this, so my first book was about mistakes at work, and this is my first book about rejection. And after I'd written that book about mistakes, I kind of thought I was done um, doing books where I, you know, would have to seek out women um, to interview them because that was a lot of footwork and, you know, a lot of thinking, um, 
my editor, uh, the editor of that book wanted me to uh, interview well-known women. And so that just that in itself um, leads to a lot of rejection because a lot of people say no. And so I kind of thought after that book, you know, I'm not going to do another book like this where I'm seeking out interesting people and interviewing them. But um, a few years ago, uh, during a reorganization at Smith, where I work, Smith College in Western Massachusetts, where you also went, uh, I applied for a bigger job and it was a huge process. So I, um, it meant writing a cover letter with a vision for a new center. It meant giving a public talk in front of colleagues and being interviewed by peers and colleagues. People and you I had was, already worked with. Yes, who, who I'd been working with for a dozen years. <laughs> and I'll just tell you, this isn't a kind of a story that shows how anxious I was during the process. I, um, I actually hired an outside speaking coach to kind of help me um, up my game on my public talk. So I was, you know, this one day that I met with her, I met with her in the morning. She coached me on my public talk. I drove back to Smith's campus, parked my car, and then actually went off and practiced with another group of friends um, to get more feedback. And at the end of the day, when I came back to my car, I left the motor running all day because I was just such a wreck. I was really anxious. And in the end, I didn't get the job. Um, someone else got it. And when I found out that I didn't get it, I felt a few things. I mean, I felt disappointed and kind of humiliated because all of these people who I worked with would know that I hadn't been hired. Um, but I also felt a little bit relieved. And that relief was kind of an important piece of information. And it, um, it made me think, well, maybe I didn't really want this job after all. And it made me um, wonder if um, talk, if, the, if rejection might be a more complex phenomenon emotionally than we realize. And if it might be interesting to embark on another book project where I interview powerful women about their experiences of rejection at work. And so that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about what this must have been like for you because you had been doing this job well for, as you say, a decade. It's a small campus. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of people knew that you were going up for this promotion. And I right. think many people would assume that I've got a really good chance. Yes. And that's what I thought. I mean, I, I kind of thought I was a shoe in in a way. Um, but then there were these other people and I thought, you know, who are these people who think they can just come in and think they, they would do a better job than I would doing do, this. you know, I've been doing all this good work. I was running these, um, successful and popular programs. I published a book, but so yes, it was kind of, it was really like a knocked me off my feet experience, you know, and I'll, I'll fast forward to the end of the story, which is that the person who actually got the job um, is really good. <laughs> and she, you know, I, uh, and maybe you'll ask me about this later, but I've ended up um, 
in part because I happened to have a very good supervisor at the time. She had a good supervisor. I mean, and they saw, you know, what was really valuable in the work I'd been doing. I've been able to transition to do a lot more teaching, which I love. And the person who got my job, who got the job that I wanted, um, is actually doing amazing work. And I kind of think like, oh, I I still am happy I don't have that job. (laughs) You know, I just am happy that I'm doing what I'm doing and not running a new leadership center that launched in the pandemic. And, you know, it's just, it was not, it, it really wasn't the thing that was closest to my heart and it is the thing that's closest to hers. So, and I work very closely with her. So, so walk me through what this felt like after this all sort of uh, came down, you, you knew you didn't get the job and then you have to show up for work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You have a, a, a great supervisor. She has a great supervisor, but like, how do you navigate all of those feelings you talked about being ashamed and humiliated? How did you, how did you deal with those feelings and still keep going? Yeah. I mean, I think in part by continuing to do the work that I loved. So it wasn't taking away the work that I was already doing, which I really um, enjoyed, which um, some of which is working with first-generation college students um, and running a group and making digital stories with them. And, you know, there were a lot of pieces of my work that I found really satisfying, But then some of it was, you know, I had to write each person who had written me a recommendation. I emailed them and said, you know, I want to update you, let you know I was not offered this job and thanks so much for your support. And, you know, they all wrote back supportive emails and, you know, my family was very supportive. And, you know, in part, this is what I, like I say to, I recently had a student she just graduated and she was going off to live with her girlfriend. And she said, um, you know, maybe I just want to be a housewife and not have a job at all. And I said, you know, it's, it's better to have a job. It's better to have all the things in part, because when one thing doesn't go well, you have the other thing. So, you know, for, so for example, you know, not diversifying. Yeah. You know, not because of some high horse thing that I think, she has to have a career or some fancy career, but just the more things you have in your life, I think the easy, the more resilient you can be. So, you know, for me, you know, I'm lucky I have my kids, I have my dogs, they're sleeping right here on my bed. You know, there's a lot of things that make me happy beyond my work. So, and then, I, that's you know, really important. The ba- yeah. talking about balance. Yes. Yeah. Balance. And, and really, you know, I had a lot of gratitude for these other things that keep me grounded. And, you know, I know, luckily I'm old enough to know that work is not everything <laughs> that work is only work. And, you know, so, and, and writing about it, you know, developing this writing project was an, was a kind of a good way for me to move past it as well. The fact that I, I had this idea and I wrote to my agent and mm-hmm. said, what do you think of this idea? And she really, she said, I love it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had sent her a lot of ideas over the years and she, you know, she, when she says she loves something, then I know 
that means something because otherwise she'll just say, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> or maybe we can talk more about it. Or, I see, sort of vague uh, yeah. phrase. I see. Right. So you're talking about balance and looking for validation in other places, even if it's just hanging out with your dogs. And Yeah, yeah. Out. I think that's so important. Um, and there's some words that we don't really like to uh, talk about, you know, if we're going to talk about the, these failings, rejections, we also probably need to talk about resentments and jealousies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one really wants to feel that. Yes. And I definitely felt that, you know, when um, my colleague who got this job arrived at the college and it was my position there was still a little unclear and you know what would be happening next for me and i definitely did feel like who's this person who who is you know what is she she thinks she can just come in and do better than i can <laughs> yes and i definitely felt jealous and some resentment you know part of moving past that was kind of developing this respect for her and watching what she was doing with the um her development of this new leadership center, which was really a, a year of deep listening across campus and gathering data and writing this very um, uh, impressive report and vision. And so, you know, just she just clearly was very smart. I mean, I don't think that's everyone's experience when someone gets the job that they wanted at their own company or organization. But in my mm -hmm. case, you know, I really uh, saw that she was bringing a lot. Um, and, and then also I happened to have this supervisor who, um, who just, who was able to kind of talk with me about, well, what, what is it that I wanted to do and help me kind of see more deeply in, uh, in the college, the things I was already doing, which was this integrative reflective work and kind of turn it into a, a course. Could so. you talk a little bit about the projects that you're working on now? Because they certainly seem unusual. I haven't been an undergrad for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I think these classes are maybe more uh, popular now, but uh, these more introspective courses. Uh -huh. Your sounds unique. Can you talk a little bit about what your mission is? Um, mm -hmm. your, is it the Narratives Project? Yeah, the Narratives Project. Um, so... Well, so the course that I um, helped develop, um, which is kind of a growing and expanding course at Smith, is called Designing Your Path. And it engages students um, in any year in reflecting on where they've been, what matters to them, uh, where they'd like to go, you know, what possibilities they could imagine for themselves in the future. And what experiments they could engage in to help them imagine and practice those possibilities, you know, to like put their toes in the water of those possibilities. So some of, a lot of the work is based on, a lot of the course is based on work I've been doing for years uh, since I got to Smith, but it was always workshop style. And so we would have, you know, read a poem, for example, and have students write, you know, it was, you know, very reflective, right? In response to the poem. So uh, an example, we have this great poem we always use called Things You Didn't Put on Your Resume. And we would have students write their own version of things ah. that you didn't put on your resume. These are exercises in the back of my book, for, uh, actually, some of these. 
But then some of what we drew from, we had a couple of colleagues go out to Stanford and they have a course called Designing Your Life and a book that goes with it. And so we adapted a couple of their exercises too. And it's become, it's really an opportunity for students to do the kind of reflecting on, on their own interests and values that many of them have not really had the time and space to do because they've worked so hard all through high school to get to college. And then it's, you know, and suddenly it's like, wait a minute, like I, you know, it can't be all about grades. It has to now start to be about what am I actually interested in? And for some students that's clear and for others it's not. And um, I think part of what's unique about doing it in a course is rather than just online on your own is that it really makes a difference for the students to talk to each other and hear other hear their own anxieties reflected in other people's anxieties and hear their own kind of interests reflected back to them by peers and you know the the group kind of get, develops this really nice cohesive little culture that by the end of you know people get pretty close uh, by the end and they find both the reflection and the closeness with their peers really um, to be useful and like kind of moving them along. Can you give me an example of, you can, you can uh, do sort of a, a mixing of, of students or uh, can you give me an example of uh, some, some student work in designing your path? Like what would it look like? What are some of the ways that they put their toes in the water? Uh-huh. So we, have them imagine three potential paths forward. So, uh, and this is this is adapted from the Stanford curriculum. And then after they've done that, um, we have we ask students to generate a how might I question. So it might be, for example, last semester a student uh, her question was how might I live in Paris, do my college work from Paris. And then we had a day in class where all of the students generated ideas for each other. So she walked away from that class with maybe a dozen different uh, ideas from peers about how she might live in Paris. But they included things like what about Montreal? Like, could you go, you know, if you can't get to Paris because it's a pandemic, could you live in Montreal? Or could you take an immersive French class? Could you set up? And, and all through this, I'll just kind of back up. There's also a piece where they're continually revisiting what really matters. So we were asked, she's asking herself, what really matters about living in Paris? Well, if she wants to get better at French. Mm-hmm. So then that leads people to be able to offer her, you know, all these different ideas about how she might work toward what matters. So stripping away uh, to find out what the value is, the core, like a core value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone else might you know, someone said, how might I weave creativity into my life uh, every for, you know, every day or every week. And this is a student who is a junior. And one idea she got from someone is to just have her art materials out all the time. So she practiced that during our prototyping week. She had her painting materials out and she that actually really helped her to do a little painting every day and mm-hmm. engage creatively in a way that um, 
that she found really fulfilling. So, you know, each person is doing, working on a different kind of test that is aligned with, with that person's interest. But, you know, what we're trying to teach them is that you can do this throughout your life and there's all, you can test, there's all different kinds of things you can test out and you don't have to feel wedded uh, to your plans. Hi there. Spring has definitely sprung and I'm seeing little purple crocuses popping up in my neighborhood. And to celebrate the season, I'm taking $20 off of my popular Zestful Aging web course. You will learn the tried and true ways to add zest and vitality to your life. And it comes with a booklet I made just for the course. It's all based on science and my 30 years as a psychotherapist. So Hop on over to ZestfulAging.com for more information and use the code SPRING2021. You will get $20 off the course and it is going to be a great way to start the season. Now back to the show. Wow. I mean, I'm thinking about you as a professor and wondering what it's like to teach these kind of classes rather than something like, I mean, this shows my bias, but like chemistry or mm-hmm. something. Um, just what's it like for you as a, as a woman <laughs> watching people broaden their possibilities in their lives? Yeah. I mean, it's really gratifying. I love it. And not that teaching chemistry is not, I, I'm certainly not qualified to teach chemistry, but <laughs> I know that those faculty members find that gratifying. And, uh-huh. um, it's a different kind it's of different. Gravity, yeah. sure. I mean, I, um, it's amazing. I mean, I love doing this kind of work because, you know, I do think we're introducing students to a habit of reflection that will benefit them throughout their lives. You know, those of us who are not college students and are way past being college students know that this is a process that you are always having to re-engage in, you know, forever, you know, repeatedly um, asking yourself what matters to me. And, you know, we don't, we're not in a world anymore, um, even with our, with our careers where we just choose something and that's what we do forever, most of us. And even if we do, there's, you know, there's ways in which we might deepen or broaden our, our work in whatever we've chosen. But, um, you know, it's, it's college students are really at an age to start to do this kind of thinking about what's the story that has led them to where they are now? What are the influences that have made them who they are? And who is that person, you know, thinking about that? And then, you know, being, I think, especially for young women, being given this sense of permission to think about what's important to you. Um, A lot of my students this semester talked about okay, I'm, I'm going to really think about what's important for me and try to be less focused on taking care of other people and thinking about other people's needs. And, you know, I, I'm not at a co-ed school, so I don't know if, if a young men would say the same thing. I'm guessing not. They <laughs> might not. <laughs> they have um, other, other things they're thinking about. Yeah, but I mean, it was really striking to me how many students said, you know, I'm really 
going to give myself permission to think about what's important to me and not be so wound up in, for example, for many of them taking care of a sibling or, you know, taking care of a parent or, you know, worrying about what their, their friends are thinking. So, yeah. I'm thinking also, you know, the, the curriculum at Smith and that just the general ethos and environment is very reflective and sensitive and mm-hmm. wondering if there's an aspect of being trauma informed when you're teaching these classes, some mm-hmm. of the obstacles I'm guessing uh, have to do with people experiencing trauma and that creating obstacles in how their lives have gone and how choices they've had um, Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to design a path, but maybe um, having challenges in that area. Is that something you touch upon or is that something you, you avoid because this isn't a group therapy? Well, it's a really good question. It's not something I have training in, you know, I think one way in which, this semester, I've tried to be attuned to the diverse experiences in the group is to um, include chapters from a a book by Jennifer Morton called Moving Up Without Losing Your Way, The Ethical Costs of Upward Mobility. It's a really good book. Um, It's about, she's a philosopher, uh, but it's a book about first generation uh, young people, college students and young professionals. There was some talk about, oh, is this going to resonate for everyone? But, you know, I I decided to have everybody read the first and the last chapter. And actually, they're available online for free through the Smith Library. And I was so um, pleased that at the end, I had everyone write a synthesis about their thoughts and read it in the last class. And several students said, you know, this really resonated with me. I was really glad that I read, you know, this this piece about making trade-offs when you are coming from a low-income family or from an immigrant family, people talk only about the, oh, how great it is to go to college, how great it is to be able to, you know, quote, quote unquote, move up. But for many people, it, it also means um, loss and leaving behind people who are important to you or uh, places that are important to you. And so that's a way in which we kind of this semester, we're able to weave some of that into the class. And then, you know, in terms of trauma, I think it's, you know, I say to students when they're going to share something and with the group, you know, I encourage them to write about something that they feel comfortable sharing with the group, but then tell them, you know, always tell them you don't have to. And it probably would be interesting to take some kind of uh, course for me about, about trauma, but I, that's not, I don't have that lens when I'm Mm -hmm. teaching. You know, it occurs to me that college age students, it's a a really important milestone, but so is post middle age Mm -hmm. around menopause, where many women are asking very similar questions. Mm -hmm. Like, I had a path, and that path is changing rapidly because my kids have launched. I'm looking 
at retirement if I have those resources. Mm -hmm. Um, I may or may not want to stay with my current partner. Uh, There's a Mm -hmm. a, a term now called gray divorce because Mm -hmm. there's so many divorces in this sort of 50 and over. So it Mm -hmm. seems like it's another really great place to take stock and, and, and ask oneself, you know, what are my values? How can Mm -hmm. I put my toes in the water? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think it's something that a lot of us, yeah, that we're doing right. When we have our, if you have young kids or you're, you know, really kind of um, going, you know, full steam ahead on your career, you may not have time to stop and ask those questions, but they are questions that we, most of us revisit, you know, through our lives. And um, yeah, I mean, every time I talk to people about the course designing your path, it's, it's the grownups who think, oh, who say, I need that, you know, (laughs) it's the college students who need more convincing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I actually have a friend, um, who's a novelist and we're talking about trying to develop a workshop that we would offer to grownups, you know, where we would take some of these, come up with exercises to help people uh, think and talk and write about some of the questions that you're posing. Well, there's a whole subculture out there asking those questions of women, sort of uh, menopausal, postmenopausal women. and I'm sure they would be delighted to uh, think more about those kinds of questions in a way that you would be able to ask. Yeah. Because you have so much experience in this area. Um, let me ask you for, for women and, and men listening, uh, they may be really interested in, oh, you know, what does this mean? Designing my path? What would it look like? Can you give any sort of first steps on, you know, for people who are not immersed in your mm-hmm. world and haven't read the book? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what would be some first steps in figuring out what's next? Mm. Well, I'll tell you, there's an exercise I really love that actually people can find for free online. It was developed by um, a friend of mine and it's called Head Heart Hustle. (laughs) And it's this great um, Venn diagram where there's a whole bunch of questions that ideally you you do this in a group, but you could ask yourself that have to do with, um, that get at uh, what you love. So, you know, who do you follow on Twitter would be an example or what, puts you at the edge of your, when are you at the edge of your seat? You know, what, what kinds of things are you really um, excited by? And then there's questions about what do you know? You know, what, what are the experiences you've had in your life kind of learning, but also, um, you know, just uh, life experiences that have informed who you are and what you know about. And so there's this Venn diagram and there's the, what do you care about circle? And then what do you know about circle? And in the overlap you write what uh, my friend Lara, when she created this, calls hustles. So all these different things that would combine what you love and what you know. And out of generating these hustles, you can you know, come up with one that you're going to experiment with. And I, I really like that. And I've kind of adapted it. And I'm still thinking of playing with it uh, for next semester and expanding with like 
mind maps about, you know, well, then how did you become the person who mm. loves these things and knows about these things? But that's a great exercise, head, heart, hustle. I'm I pretty will, sure you could Google it. I'm going to link it in the program notes. That's exactly the kind of thing I think that can be super helpful because some of these can feel overwhelming. Like I have a lot of teachers in my practice and mm-hmm. they can retire early, at least in yeah. New York state. And then they say, my kids are gone. I have the resources. My spouse or partner is watching the History Channel in a recliner. I'm uh-huh. not ready to do that. <laughs> right. I don't even know how to start the the, the conversation with myself because yeah. I've been a full time, you know, uh, career person, a mom, uh, a partner. I don't even. I haven't had the mind space to say what would you like to spend the latter half of your life doing? Yeah. It's hard yeah. to even get people to step into that uh, space of asking the question, have the luxury of, if you had a whole day to yourself, no obligations, what would you love? And, yeah. you know, we talk about flow state, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, sort of yeah. you lose time. And right. for me, um, you know, that might happen in the garden or the tennis court. And you know it when it happens because sometimes you realize you haven't eaten or mm-hmm. you have you, you have to use yeah. the bathroom and you're waiting and waiting because you're so involved. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's so this, those are some of the kinds of examples that I like to use. Yeah. Super. Helpful. Yeah. And there's a lot, you know, to there's a lot to be said for kind of bringing that that kind of calm you know, for the lack of being at the risk of being cheesy, like wisdom that you have when you're a little older, um, a lot to be said for like bringing that to a new project. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Also, one thing that I've read and I think can be true is if you really don't know some, uh, I've heard questions like, what did you used to do as a child? Yeah. You know, is did yeah. you make stuff? Did you yes. like to draw, you know, and then we can kind of follow back. Oh, I haven't gotten my drawing out in so long, or I love yep. to take pictures. And so that's another way that I try to help people rediscover. Um, yeah, that's there's a great exercise um, also from this curriculum that Lara developed when she used to work at Echo and Green Foundation, and they they created this whole curriculum for college students to to figure out what they loved. And I still draw from it. And one of them is called Backdate Your Resume, where you know you have people think about first of all what did you want to be when you grew up, and then also you know what kind of Where were the spaces where you learned? Where were the spaces where you played? You know, what skills did you have? And going all the way from like zero to 10 and then 10 to 20. Yeah, one of my students who did that, she really loved it. And she did reconnect with herself as an artist and and as a, you know, a drawer. And when she graduated, she went home and like did a big painting on the garage door of her parents' home, like just to relax. (laughs) Wow. And that brings so much balance. Um, Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Great for also for mental health, that creativity. We know that for sure. So where can people find out more about you and all of your projects and, um, and offerings? Yeah. Um, Well, I have a website, jessbacall.com. Com. It's just, is it Jess? It's just Jess. Yeah. Uh, J-E-S-S. 
B-A-C-A-L. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, you can buy my books at any, you know, any online venue, any bookstore, mm-hmm. any, and what, any actual bookstore once the pandemic is over and we can right. go into places. <laughs> We're going to love places. that. We're yeah, love yeah. Um, what's next for you? Well, you know, I love to have a project and I'm still just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to do a little bit of writing every day. I was talking to my friend who's a novelist who has a very rigorous practice and she suggested meditating and writing a little every day. So I'm starting to try to do that and just move slowly toward my next project and have patience. And when I send out, you know, essays, you know, taking my own advice from the book, like send it out. 20 times before you get demoralized by a rejection. And so, so you never know yeah. where that rejection is going to come from. Sometimes it right. makes no sense. Right. Exactly. As in your example. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jessica Bocall, thank you so much for sharing this really fascinating and important perspective of, I think, living a, a healthy and balanced life is dealing with rejection and failure and, and, not needing to be ashamed of that, sharing that experience and knowing that's, that's part of developing your real path. Yeah. Well, thank you. It was really fun to talk with you. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.